So, no prizes for guessing the hashtag. There it is. And this morning, the wonder of who. Uh, And I want to strip it all back this morning because we all know that we can have Christmas without trees and puddings and pantomimes and parties and family get-togethers. And if you're stressed out about prepping some of those things, you'll be glad to know that we can have Christmas without any of them. We know that we can have Christmas without uh, a, a myriad of traditions. We even might, if we stretch it, know that in the end we could have Christmas without the shepherds. And uh, you, oh, you, you're way ahead of me. Uh, and we, and we couldn't have it without the wise. We could have it without the wise men. I think we could even have it without the virgin birth. Because that's about the, in some senses, the the way God chose to do what He did. But when you strip it all away, the wonder is that God whatever the circumstances would have been, that God became man. The wonder is who that baby really is. That's the wonder. And and the baby gets lost in it all, I think. And I'd like, if I can, to bring the baby this morning into sharp focus. The wonder is who that baby is. It's the the central mystery. It's the truth to which every carol service and typically nine lessons and carols moves towards when they read from John's gospel that the Word was God. And that Word, that Jesus became flesh, became blood and bones and skin and cells and lived among us. Several years ago at the Baptist Assembly, Cardinal Basil Hume, who was, I was going to say alive then, of course he was alive, was invited to come and speak. And uh, obviously it caused a little bit of a stir because he wasn't quite in our tradition, um, being uh, a Catholic cardinal. It's one of those moments in my life when I sensed, perhaps more than many others, that the person speaking knew Jesus in a way I did not. I don't know whether you've ever heard someone speak, and, and you just sense that their walk with Jesus is just something that you long for. Anyone know what I'm talking about? And there was a sense of God's presence like you wouldn't believe. And, uh, and our friend Geraldine Latty got up to lead the, the worship after, after that. And we sang, Breathe on me, breath of God. And it was just one of those moments at <laughs> the Baptist Assembly of all places. Fantastic. God of miracles. And, and all of that. And there, and he writes this about the baby. He says, None of us will ever be able to fathom completely the meaning of the incarnation. None of us will ever be able to work it out. And you and I want to work it out. We want to understand the, the logistics and the how and the what did it really mean that God should become man in a physical sense. And he says, um, we'll never be able to fathom completely the meaning of the incarnation. I often reflect it better to kneel humbly and devoutly at the crib 
and wonder prayerfully about the fact of our Lord's birth. And I want to ask you just for some moments, if you can set aside some of the the scientific questions, the the yearning for uh, intellectual understanding, and whether you can lay that aside for one moment, every place for those things and those conversations, but just for a moment to come and to, as it were, metaphorically kneel at, at the crib where this baby is lying. And to allow your mind and your heart to grow in knowledge and understanding of who this baby is. That's my invitation. And then John will lead us in some worship towards the end of our time. as an opportunity for us to, 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 to come to that place of allowing the truth to touch our hearts in a new and fresh way. The Apostle Paul, in those verses that uh, uh, Matt read to us, quotes probably the oldest part of the New Testament. Paul quotes probably a hymn or a poem that was used in their oral tradition to remember the great truths about Jesus. So it's probably one of the oldest things, the, the, the closest things to the time of Jesus, who being in very nature God made in human likeness. That's the wonder of it all. That there in that crib, in that manger, in that stinky trough, whatever, is God Himself. And I want us to to join the dots a little bit between the Old Testament and the New Testament and we've been looking at the book of Ezekiel and, and how the people understood something of the magnitude of God that they learnt while they were in exile. And I want us to go to another book in the Old Testament that was written around a similar time, the book of Isaiah, that was also writing to people when their backs were against the wall and they were in exile and helping them understand who God is. And I want us to think about what Isaiah helped the people understand about who God is And to think about that same God being the baby there in the crib. Because that's the truth, isn't it? That the God who is sovereign, the one of whom we have said he's faithful and he's working it all out, is the God that's there in human form. So um, uh, open your Bibles, would you, and find Isaiah chapter 40. And I'll... Someone just yell out a page number. When we found Isaiah chapter 40. Thanks, ma'am. 723. So turn it over perhaps to page 724, just in there, okay? 724. And here Isaiah is saying to the people in darkness... I want you to realize how big your God is. And as we think about what Isaiah says about who God is, I want us to apply that right into that manger. That this is that God. Okay, verse 6 of Isaiah chapter 40. The baby, this baby, is the Lord of all kings and rulers. 
That's who he is. All people are like grass and their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are like grass. Isaiah was writing to the people when they had been crushed by the might of Babylon. And uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, ruled the world fiercely and with great might. And they were brought into the shadow of his kingdom, Ishtar's house, and all that stuff we, we talked about in our Ezekiel series. And so the people of God were incredibly aware how powerful human rulers are in our perspective. And what he writes to those people long ago is that you need always to remember that our God, compared even to the people of, of greatness in a worldly sense, our God is just able to blow a breath and kingdoms will rise and fall and nations will come and go and rulers will be deposed come what May, this baby is the Lord of all kings and rulers. Our lives are not in human hands. Our lives are in the hands of this child, of whom it is said, the government, the rule, the reign, will be on his shoulders. In whom do we place our trust today. This baby, secondly, verse 12, is the Lord of all creation, who's measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens, who's held the dust of the earth in a basket, or weighed the mountains on the scales. It's like saying the, 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 the whole of creation compared to God is so small that, that, that metaphorically he can just hold it in the palm of his hand, or he, he can just place the whole of creation on some weighing scales. You know those old scales where you um, um, put, put something on that side, and you have to put little weights on the other side until it balances? What's funny about that? Uh, and uh, and, and it's, it's like the, just the whole of creation is just, is just there before God in, in, the, in the span or in the, in the palm of his, of his hand. Uh, this baby, this baby is the one who holds creation in the very palm of his hand. He made the world. He was in the world and through, though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. One of the most painful verses, I think, in the Bible. You know what it's like to be rejected? You know what it's like to feel on the outside? God comes to that which he has made and feels on the Outside. The baby is, verse 13, Lord of all understanding. Who, who has understood the mind of the Lord or instructed him as his counselor? In other words, who can give God any advice? There is no advice that you can give God that he hasn't already thought of himself. And we need to remember that perhaps in our praying when we kind of tell God a few things about what's going on. I love those kind of prayers. Where we remind God about people. And we remind God what they're going through, like he's forgotten. Uh, and Isaiah is saying, remember that, that, that God, is, God is the Lord of all literature, all history, all understanding, all counsel, all advice, all wisdom. He's Lord of it all. This baby is the Lord of all understanding. No wonder Isaiah would say of him, wonderful counselor, 
There is no other wise word that you need other than the word that comes from this baby in that manger. Wonderful counsel. Verse 15, he's Lord of all nations. Surely the nations are like a, a drop in, in a bucket. They're regarded as dust on the scales. It's, it, it's kind of the image. You've got a bucket of water and you tip the water out and uh, you'd go, is there any water in the bucket? You'd kind of go, no, it's empty. But if you look closely, you could see a couple of drops of water kind of clinging to the edge of the bucket. Keep me in, keep me in. Uh, and uh, they don't actually say that because they're not really alive. They're just drops of water. And, and, and you would say that, that it was empty, but, but there, there are these tiny drops that kind of seem inconsequential. They're, they're not really. Uh, and it's like, well, the, the, the nations that seem so powerful sometimes, that seem like they're, that they're so mighty, the Russias and the Americas and the Chinas that seem so so powerful, uh, and, and yet they're, they're just like a, a last drop clinging to an empty bucket they're in God's agenda, in God's perspective. Uh, and it's no wonder that the wise men came from the nations to worship Him, because He is Lord of all the nations, Lord of all the nations. So Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judah during the time of King Herod. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. They were like astrologers, kind of like um, philosophers, kind of like the, the educated elite from another part of the world. They go, this, this baby, this baby is the one to whom we must come. Because this baby, back in Isaiah, is the Lord of all worship. Lebanon is not sufficient for all the altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. So imagine a place where there's loads of wood and loads of animals that's rich in resource for exactly what you needed to worship at the temple, which is wood for the fire and animals for the sacrifice. Lebanon was packed out with all of those things. It was like the, the only fishing trip I've ever been on where I caught something where the, the, the pond was just so full of fish, you couldn't get your hook out without it hooking onto something. And uh, I caught four fish. So having said last time that fishing is totally pointless, I want to redeem myself. So you fishermen and say what a wonderful occupation it is to spend a, a day fishing. And um, uh, Lebanon was just packed out rich with all of this stuff. And, and basically, Isaiah is saying, look, look, all, all the stuff to keep the altar fire going, to keep the sacrifices going day and night on the altar, it's just not enough for this God. It's not enough. He, he deserves so much more than we will ever be able to give, even though we give everything so much more. So, even the angels came out to worship. Even the angels came. Because this is the baby that's Lord of all worship. Why is he Lord of all worship? Why is he glory to God in the highest? Because he is in that highest place. He is the Lord of all competitors. Uh, Verse 18 of chapter 40. There are no other gods that can compete with him. Every other god is a a human creation, is an illusion, is an idol. And so Isaiah writes to them, who in the end are you going to compare God with? What, what image will you compare him to? As for an idol, a craftsman makes it, a goldsmith overlays it with gold. Get a life, don't you just realize that's just a statue? And yet you give it your allegiance. Don't you just realize that's just a brand and you give it your allegiance? Don't you just realize that's just an image 
and you give it your allegiance. Don't you realize that's just a and you give it your allegiance? And Isaiah said, no, 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 this God, this God is, is worthy of all your worship. No brands, no image, no, no, no nothing, no self, no. This God, he is the Lord of all his competitors. The Lord of the universe. And, and the, the kind of Christmas story sets up, sets up the rivalry. Do you notice that? We don't talk about it as much. I was thinking, well, Heather was going on about, um, going on about, I mean, talking wonderfully about us, you know. <laughs> Sorry, Heather. She always listens to the podcast as well, so that kind of sucks, doesn't it? Uh, uh, not that she'd need to, because there's about 700 of you that will be rushing upstairs to say, oh, I guess what Simon's in. Ah. Um, uh, she's talking about, you know, you don't want to dress up, blah, blah, blah. You know, you can come as a, you come as a sh- sorry, I did it again. You can come as a shepherd, and you just have a... Cr- I was thinking you could come as one of Herod's soldiers, you know? You could come with a Nerf gun, or with a sword, or with a kind of, I don't know, something really nasty, like an axe or something. And uh, you could be one of Herod's soldiers, because the Christmas story sets up the rivalry. Isaiah says, look, there are no competitors. That does not mean there aren't people competing, does it? There are no competitors, but it does not mean there are no people competing. And Herod is competing in the story. And we're shown that he's com- com- uh, um, competing in, in, in uh, the story. And uh, if I've even got the verse here, maybe I have. Mm, yeah, here we go. Let's try this. He hears that Jesus is uh, about to be born, uh, or has been born, and he calls his guys together, uh, and effectively he says to them, so, so come on, who, who's, who, who, who am I competing against? Who, who am I competing against? And, and we know, don't we, that the, the God, who is Lord of all, outwits Herod, and the wise men go home a different route. And Herod goes on to die, and Jesus goes on to live. That's the story. That, that's the Christmas story. And so in, in the midst of it, there's this contrast being built about who, who, whose allegiance, who's the real king, who, who's the rightful heir, who's, whose throne is this really, whose government will this really be. This baby is the Lord of all com. Competitors, because he is the Lord of the universe. He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and the people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. It's a bit like the whole universe. I mean, we have... Uh, uh, I could have gone and, and got, you know, loads of the facts and figures about the universe. You know, it's so many miles wide and stuff. And, it, you know, it's got a few stars and it, if you wanted to travel from one side to the other, it would take you about half an hour and stuff like that. And, and, and just how, how incomprehensibly vast the whole thing is. And Isaiah says, you've got to remember, you've got to remember this universe that from your perspective as a little grasshopper seems just so vast. It, it's just like one day God said, I'm going to put up a pair of curtains and I'm going to draw them across like this. And he writes the universe or speaks the universe into being by the power of his word. This baby is the Lord of all the universe, which of course is John's perspective in the beginning, before no nations, no rulers, no creation, no universe, no, no sun, no stars, no day or night, in the beginning was, and every good Jewish person 
wants to say God because they knew Genesis 1 verse 1. They tried to memorize the Bible and they got that far. Genesis 1 verse 1, in the beginning was God. And John goes, in the beginning was the word. And they go, I understand what he is saying. That there in the beginning was Jesus. Now a baby in a manger. Lord of all the universe. And that's a reality for us. That he is therefore Lord of all heavenly powers. We live in a world that's desperate for power beyond itself. Desperate. We don't live in a world that isn't interested in spiritual stuff. We live in a world that is openly desperate about something that's beyond themselves that will meet their needs. It's always been the same. The Babylonians worshipped the stars. They, they, they looked to the stars and they thought that their destiny was in the stars. If only somehow they can be like the stars, be like celebrity cult of today. They'll look in different stars, look into the stars and, uh, and say, if, it, if only we can put our trust in those things that are bigger than us and certain. Everyone's looking for something bigger and more certain. And why this is so brilliant in Isaiah's day is that they worship the stars and Isaiah says, you never forget that the stars, that these people that seem so powerful and mighty to you worship, well, remember, your God made those stars. This baby is the Lord of all heavenly powers. And that's what John would say. You say, in this Jesus, in this baby was life. That's where life comes from. If we, as we long for that which is other, that which is beyond ourselves, that which we know instinctively we need uh, for our completeness, that which instinctively we know we need to answer to in terms of the way that we've lived, we know that we need forgiveness from, that is the baby. He is the one there. The Lord of all kings and rulers, the Lord of creation, the Lord of nations, Lord of all worship, Lord of all combatants, Lord of the universe, and Lord of all powers. It's a wonder. It's a mystery. And C.S. Lewis said, if you want to get the hang of it, think how you would like to become a slug or a crab. And Charles Wesley in some of the the brilliant lines that that he wrote, our God contracted to a span, incomprehensibly made man. And what we need to understand this morning is something that we already know, but it gets lost. It gets lost in everything else. Is that the faith that we have in Jesus is not just another faith alongside different world faiths that exist. So I, I could follow this, and I could follow that, and I could follow But actually, I follow Jesus. There, there are a number of things, you see, that we discover here in this baby that demands our utmost attention and decision. Because everything about this baby doesn't allow you to say, well, I could follow that, and I could go this way, or I could do the other, Everything about this baby that Isaiah said would come, unto us a child will be born, and the government will be upon his shoulders. He will be eternal father, mighty God, everlasting, and all that stuff. That baby that's coming demands everything. That's the deal. It's not one among many, but he demands 
our total allegiance. He is the one who in the end says, I am the Lord that demands all of your worship. I am the Lord of all the nations. I am the Lord of all kings and rulers. I am the Lord of every culture, every background, every upbringing, every, every, every. I'm the Lord of it all. And it's a massive challenge there in that manger. And, and it's easier to think about shepherds and wise men because they're a bit fluffy compared to that reality that Jesus says, I, I want everything. And the second thing that, 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 that we always need to remember as we look into that manger is that not only is Jesus saying, I am, full stop, forget about everybody else, I am, it's all about me, all of understanding is about me, all of history is about me, all of the nations rising and falling, it's about me. Not only is he saying it's about me, he's also saying in every manger scene, in every Christmas card, of which there are a few where you still get that picture on it, he's saying, I have done something that no one else has done and no one else claims to do. So there isn't another kind of faith journey, there isn't another religion, there isn't another pattern, there isn't another way that says that God came down to us. There isn't another one like that. So it's not only, it's not only just a slight tweak on a, on a load of other stuff. This is just something totally different over here. Where, where, where God says, look, look, at the heart of everything is that I've come to you. Whereas everything else that we read about is us trying to get to him. And it's fundamentally different. And we get in a mess when we treat Christianity as if it's still a God telling us to come to him, gospel. If only I can do a bit more, I'll get there. If only I can sort a few things out, I'll get there. If only I can, if only I can. Uh, and, and, and all of that gets swept away because they're in a manger with a group of people that have done diddly squat. Mary, who had nothing to offer. Joseph, who didn't have anything to offer in a human, in a human sense. These were, these were country people. They were dead awkward in Bethlehem because they spoke with a, with a country accent. And you know how awkward country accents can be. No? No, you don't. Okay, that's fine. That's good. And, and, and so, so in the big city, it's just really out of place. And then the shepherds and the, just, just a bunch of weirdos all turn up to the stable. And they had nothing really to offer. But there, God says, I'm coming and I'm coming to you. And it's just totally different. And we have to see in that manger that this baby is everything. And he's come to us. And it all starts there. And that's the invitation. That's what lies at the heart of the cows of come, let us adore him. You're just welcome to come. And to discover that God has actually come to us. And it's not about, I'm choosing this way to live to better myself. Or I'm choosing this way to live because, well, I, I was part of this particular culture rather than that. It's about this Jesus that demands everything. And was willing to risk everything in order to make himself known. That's the wonder. That's the wonder. And, and I have to say that... that it's hard to connect with that in the way we spend our time this time of year. And it's not a downer on the way we spend this time of year. I kind of, it's a nice time of year, although it can be a very painful time of year. 
but, it, but it's hard to connect with that because it goes against type. It goes against type to go, we can do nothing. We're just helpless in this other than to recognize that he came. Uh, other than to, to go, God, I, I can't give you anything. And, and if you hadn't come, then there would be nothing. There'd be no, no story, no, no hope, no, no purpose, no, no meaning. Totally different from any other life view or religion or philosophy that God comes down to us. Let's be quiet. invite you in the quietness of these moments just to think about what it might mean to have a glimpse into that stable, to that inn. In a sense, it's just a, a load of nothing there. It's not unusual for a young girl to have a baby. Not unusual for a young girl to have a baby out in the country with none of the privileges and provision that we might expect. And I invite you to be open to the Spirit helping you to join the dots. That that baby that seems so ordinary is so extraordinary. That baby that was called Jesus, such a, a common name in those days, in so many ways, Jesus, Jack, Ben, Tom, Jesus. Called him Jesus, so ordinary. And yet... So extraordinary because he will save his people. Emmanuel, because God there with us. And can you imagine those tiny little hands? It's hard to imagine a tiny baby when you haven't seen one for a while. Imagine the smallest of hands and then it's probably smaller than you think. Those are hands that are fully capable of holding the whole universe in their grip. This is Jesus. And, and as that baby cried, so normal, such a natural reflex, hungry, thirsty, cold. There is a God who still weeps. She sees those that are hungry and thirsty and cold. And nobody's scared of a baby. 
unless you're a bloke and you have to change one. But generally, nobody's scared of a baby. Just, just, what can a baby do? And God makes himself that approachable. That, that available. He invites us to draw close to his heart. And then in came the wise men, big strapping men, and they bowed down low. Because they knew who he was. And as you open the door of that inn, that stable, that place, and you walk in, what, what do you do? What do you do? The hopes and fears of all the years are met in him that night.